Hey, Church Online. You know, a little over 20 years ago, to be exact, January 16th, 2004, I fell down and worshiped the Lord Jesus. I know that sounds kind of weird and not usually how I talk, but as you'll see in just a little bit, I'm using language that is familiar to today's passage. A few months later, I was sitting in the open-air amphitheater at San Diego State University. I was attending a, a church that was called the Rock Church San Diego. At the time, it was a new church started by ex-NFL player Miles McPherson, who played for both the Chargers and the Broncos. And in just a short time, they had over 5,000 people attending every weekend. And one of my favorite memories was watching people move from the parking lot to the sanctuary. No joke. People were running with Bibles in hand, running to church because no one wanted to sit in the overflow room. Everyone wanted to be in the sanctuary, in that main room, because God was moving. He was tangibly present and nobody wanted to miss anything. It was a really cool time to be part of that church. And I'm praying that God would allow us to experience something similar here in Glastonbury. Anyways, back to that service that I was attending. It was, it was a Good Friday service in the open-air amphitheater. And the service started, and I just kind of stood there as usual. Hey, when Jesus changed my life, he truly changed my life that year. But I'm going to be honest. I really wasn't into worship music. Now, don't get me wrong, they had a great band, but worship was something weird for me. You know, singing out loud in front of other people, that really wasn't my thing. I loved the Bible teaching, but for me, worship was kind of like, eh. So I was just kind of standing there, waiting for the worship music to end. And they even had a special guest on that day. They had Shane and Shane. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them. But they're amazing. So here I am, thousands of people. God is moving and the worship is powerful and I'm just standing there. And then it was like God tapped me on the shoulder and I heard him speak to my heart. I want you to lift your hands. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I don't do that kind of thing. And I heard a gentle but firm reply. Am I not worthy of your worship? You know, the emotions of that moment still hit me today. I knew what Jesus had done for me. I knew that I deserved nothing but judgment. And yet God saved me because he loves me. And I knew he was worthy and is worthy of my worship. Today, as we continue in our series through the book of Daniel, that is going to be the main point we are going to discuss today, that God alone is worthy of our worship. And I'm giving you this main point up front because I feel like it's so important that I don't want you to miss it. Like if you're going to leave today, even if you're going to log off of church online, if you're going to leave with anything from Daniel chapter 3, remember this, that God alone is worthy of worship. And so to, to quickly recap and catch us up, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem. He's captured some of the best Jewish men and has attempted to brainwash them, including Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. However, these four Jewish men, they resolve to serve the Lord no matter what, and God blesses them. That's the end of chapter one. Then in chapter two, Daniel does what nobody else in Babylon could do. He tells the king, 
both his dream, which was about a huge statue, and the interpretation that the statue represented the future. And Nebuchadnezzar not only promotes Daniel, but also his three friends, and also praises the God of Israel for being unlike any other God. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Just an FYI, the dimensions of the statue are about 90 feet by 9 feet. That seems like it would be an awkward shape, but it's probably impressive nonetheless. Verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. As we advance through the passage, we're going to see this list of, of, of titles uh, repeated a few times. A, a good Bible study principle to be aware of is that whenever a biblical author repeats something, it is usually intentional, meaning we should pay attention. And here it is likely telling us that everyone who is anyone is present. We need to pay attention to that because this is a big deal in Babylon. Verse 4, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Here's another list that's repeated in this chapter, the list of musical instruments. And I think there's two reasons for this. Number one, there is a clear expectation being communicated. Notice the inclusion of almost every kind of instrument they had at the time. And the sense is, make no mistake, when you hear the music of any kind, that's your cue. At that moment, you are to fall down before the statue and worship. Is that clear? And the second reason is this, music is powerful. I believe God has designed music to pull on the strings of our heart. And that can be used for good or evil. Obviously here, it's the latter. Music can make people emotional, which can also make them compliant. Nebuchadnezzar wants something and music will help him accomplish this goal. But what is it that Nebuchadnezzar wants? Well, point number one for today is this, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted worship. Now, if you've been with us during the first two chapters of Daniel, something seems off here. It would seem off that Nebuchadnezzar wants this. Maybe you remember that Nebuchadnezzar declared at the end of chapter two, it says, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. You know, Daniel clearly gave him the divine interpretation of his dream. Nebuchadnezzar knows that he should surrender to the Lord, surrender to Daniel's God, who, whose kingdom is going to last forever. So why in the world does he respond by building a golden statue, likely of himself, and say to everyone, everyone worship me instead? 
Was his praise to Daniel's God fake? Maybe. But can I suggest something else? Because how often are we like Nebuchadnezzar? We hear the gospel and respond, but then we go back to our old ways. Does that mean our conversion wasn't real? Maybe. The Bible does say that's a possibility. But I think this might also remind us that the maturing of our faith is often a journey, a spiritual progression. We've all experienced this. We get it. We get that the, the, the that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but we also don't get it because we don't start immediately living the way we should with him as Lord. We need time to spiritually mature and grow. And that also reminds me of something we discussed last year. You know, Proverbs 14.4 says, Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. One thing this verse teaches us is that there is a harvest. But to properly reap the harvest, you need a strong ox. But here's the thing. A strong ox drops bombs in the stable. There's going to be big poop. I know it's been a while since I said poop in church. But therefore, what this passage is telling us is that if you want the harvest, you must be willing to clean up the poop. In other words, following the Lord can be messy. You know, there's a harvest here in Glastonbury. Lots of people who need Jesus and are ready to follow him. And we've begun to experience that here at the River Church. But as more and more people do that, you know what's going to happen? It's going to get more and more messy because people are going to do things that God's people shouldn't be doing because it's all new to them and they don't know any better yet. They're still learning how to live differently, sort of like Nebuchadnezzar, which also makes uh, which also tells us why it's so important that, that we have discipleship, or like we call it here at the River Church, life groups. That's why life groups are so important. And so let's be patient with the king here in chapter 3, and let's also be patient with our growing church family. But back to chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar continues, and so at the sound of the music, I want everybody to worship me, verse 6, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. You know what? Nebuchadnezzar's got problems. He's always going to the extreme, always going overboard. Like, if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, you die. If you don't worship my statue, you die. But everybody knows he's serious. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so everyone who's anyone did exactly what the king asked. Almost everyone. Verse 8, therefore, at a certain time, Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, may have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. By the way, where the heck is Daniel? 
You know, there's a lot of speculation, but ultimately, it's not important. If it was, the Holy Spirit would have given us these details, but he didn't. But we do see the three friends. In the words of VeggieTales, Rakshak and Benny, we see the three friends are once again showing resolve to honor the Lord no matter what. The king clearly communicated, everyone must worship or die. And everyone obeys, except these three. They resolve, we will not worship the statue. And the Chaldean ops, the opposition, they, they saw them. But before we continue, I, I want to mention something that I think might be helpful for us today. And so why did the Chaldeans accuse these Jewish men? Well, one reason is that they are jealous. Because all of a sudden, these, these men who were once slaves, they have risen to ranks that were either equal to or higher than the Chaldeans. So there's some jealousy happening. However, I think there's also something spiritual happening. Ephesians 6 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What this means is that sometimes the opposition we face isn't just human-to-human -human ordeals. Conflict is often connected to spiritual darkness. There are invisible demonic forces instigating the desire to fight. As we discussed a moment ago, some of us are new to this Jesus thing. Some of us are serving Jesus in increasingly new ways. We are taking huge steps of faith and yet, Stuff starts going wrong. It's like, why is this happening? I think I'm, I thought I was doing the right thing. Well, one likely reason is because we are in a spiritual battle. Because do you think he wants to see you living as light in the world, bringing joy to our community and showing them the love of Christ? Do you think he likes losing ground in Glastonbury? No. So what he does is he starts planting these accusations and hate into people around you. And out of nowhere, they attack you because you follow Jesus. And when that happens, remember what Jesus taught us. John 15, do you remember what I told you? This is Jesus speaking. A slave is not greater than the master. And since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And so if you resolve to follow Jesus as Lord in 2024 and stuff starts going wrong, that's good. Don't, don't give up or don't be naive to the enemy's tactics because you are in a spiritual battle. And so expect it. Know what's going on. And I believe that's what's happening here to the three friends. The Chaldeans hate them because it's really Satan who hates them. And he is planting these spiritual seeds of hate, of hate in, into the Chaldeans and into Nebuchadnezzar. Because verse 13 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Remember, 
Everyone who's anyone has already done it. And now it's your turn. Just bow the knee to the statue. And if not, you'll die. My friends, cancel culture is not new. Nebuchadnezzar was doing it 2,000 years ago. And while this story sounds ancient and barbaric, you know, it's still very relevant. Now, we today may not be forced to bow down to a giant golden statue, but we are pressured all the time to conform, to bow down to what everyone else believes, thinks, or does. And if we won't, we die too, or we are canceled. And so what will the friends do? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These guys are, are my heroes. Their response fills me with faith and courage. But I also wonder, would I actually respond this way if I was in their shoes? Better yet, do we respond this way now when we are pressured by our contemporary culture? Or do we compromise so that we can save our lives? This reminds me of what Jesus says, Luke 9. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 500 years before Jesus spoke these words, Daniel's friends already understood this truth. They followed the Lord, and so they were willing to pick up their cross. They were willing to lose their lives for God's sake, because God alone is worthy of worship. Point number two is Daniel's friends will only worship God, and it's going to cost them everything. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were willing to die for their faith because the Lord is worthy of worship, even if that worship costs them everything. But then something happens. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, didn't we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. How is this possible? 
How could they walk around in the fire unhurt? And who is this fourth person in the fire? I think two verses that we have already read in the book of Daniel can help us answer these questions. Remember when the Chaldeans couldn't help Nebuchadnezzar with his dream and they declared, the thing that the king asks is too difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And we just read just a moment ago how the king arrogantly proclaimed, but if you do not worship, if you, you shall immediately be thrown into the fire. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? How are they miraculously walking in the fire? Who is this fourth man? It's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was Daniel's God. It was the God who does dwell with flesh. And it is the God who saves even out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand. More specifically, this man and this miracle is due to Jesus being present. He is the fourth man in the fire. This, is, this moment is what theologians call a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It's a time where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, Jesus was saving people back in Babylon. Jesus saved the world on the cross. And Jesus is still saving people today. And Jesus is going to keep saving people tomorrow. Which again, re-emphasizes this truth. God alone, or better yet, Jesus alone is worthy of worship. Point number three, King Nebuchadnezzar discovers God alone is worthy of worship. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. This is impossible. Only the Lord of all creation could do this. And when God saves the three friends in this specific way, he is declaring to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon and to the world, I am the sovereign Lord. I control everything. I created fire and I can say to that fire, you are powerless. Do not touch my servants. And a God who can do that is worthy of worship. You know, I've seen this firsthand. You've probably heard the story. My oldest son was born dead. And when the doctors finally revived him, they told us it was not good. But God spoke to my heart saying, I'm going to heal your son. So would I believe the Lord? And as we continue to sit there in the NICU, and the doctors walked in with tests that, that, that confirmed our fears, that the damage was, the real, was real, that the damage was done, and that there is no hope, God once again spoke to me and said, I am in control. And I'm not subject to what the doctors say. And again, will I believe the Lord? And the answer was, I chose to believe God. And God did do a miracle. He healed my son. And I personally discovered in a greater way that, that, that season that God alone is worthy of worship. And that is what the king discovered too. And he takes another step 
in his faith journey. Look what he says next. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so the Chaldeans' plan fails. They wanted to destroy the three friends. Instead, they got a promotion. The favor of God is real. And those who worship the Lord walk in his victory. And so as we close today, I have one question for us all to consider. Will you worship the Lord? There are many ways to respond to this question, and I want to encourage you to, to choose maybe one of the four or maybe one of the three that I'm, I'm going to share with you. So number one, you may need to finally turn from your sin and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord like I did 20 years ago. And if you will, I promise it will be the greatest decision you ever make. Number two, maybe you need to be faithful. Maybe you need to worship by being faithful in the small things. Because the reality is we won't jump into the fire for Jesus if we can't even give $50 or read scripture for 15 minutes or invite a friend to church. Therefore, ask the Lord today, what small thing can I start being faithful with right now? And then resolve to do that thing and do it consistently. But number three, and it's similar to what I just talked about, what's something that has been causing you to compromise your faith that you need to give up? What have you bowed your knee to because of peer pressure? Because we won't give up our lives for the Lord like we read about here in Daniel 3. If we can't even give up watching inappropriate shows or sinful beliefs or intoxicating substances, you know, Lent's coming up. It actually starts on Valentine's this year, uh, and churches participate in this season in many different ways, but most of them involve a sort of fasting or intentionally giving up something as a way to prepare our hearts for Easter, about a way to remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that in a couple of months, but start praying now about what God wants you to give up. Because I believe the Holy Spirit may even be speaking to some of you right now about that very thing. You need to give this thing up now. Is God worthy of your worship? Then lift your hands and surrender. Follow him even into fire. And watch Jesus bring about unbelievable victory. Let's pray. God, you alone are worthy of worship. There's a lot in this world that tries to make us believe differently. And we often believe those voices. For that, we're sorry. Please forgive us. Today, help us to make steps of faith towards you, even if they're small ones. Change us into men and women like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. More than that, make us like the fourth man in the fire. Make us like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.